following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, good evening. Welcome this evening. Glad that you're able to be with us at Fellowship Bible Church. We're here. Uh, We just finished our prayer time. We had some remote in and uh, some uh, here in in the auditorium with us. But we're here tonight, and we're going to look, uh, God willing, at some of uh, more of Matthew chapter 13. So if you'd turn there to Matthew 13, we spent a good portion of our time uh, last uh, session together uh, on Sunday evening looking at Matthew 13 and the parable of the sower, as it's titled by your study Bible and by the Lord in verse number 18. I made the case that uh, because of the content of it, I would rather call it the parable of the soils. And uh, you might say, well, how can you come up with a better title than the Lord? Uh, if he called it the parable of the sower, I discussed this with Jansen. Um, I think he's just saying this is a parable about a sower. And that brings to mind, okay, there was a guy sowing, and what was that all about and all that. So it's a, it's a word that's at the very beginning of the, of the parable. In fact, listen to it. It says, uh, a sower went out to sow. So the very first key word is not a, but sower. And so that word is in the title going to bring the, the content of it to mind. I chose the parable of the soils, however, because it covers the point or the content of the parable a little bit more, um, how can I say, expansively than, than it's not really the focus on the sower per se. It, the sower could be anybody. But the soils represent the response of the Word of God in the hearts of people, good or ill. And of course, uh, there is an application to the sower, uh, to you and me, because we're supposed to sow the seed. We're supposed to sow the seed. Sometimes, uh, lately I was sharing with Drew an opportunity we had to uh, be out and about uh, sharing uh, the, the Word of God and uh, casting the seed uh, it's not yet found a good soil in the sense of, you know, a response, but we're casting the seed. And uh, I always remember uh, Chuck and Joyce Cartwright told us about their training in their church in California years and years ago before they came to us. And the training was this, our responsibility is to honor God by proclaiming his word and leaving the results in his hands. And so we don't force push, twist the arm behind the back, uh, manipulate. We just preach the word and, and allow God to do his work. But uh, we, So we looked at the parable of the soils or the sower, whatever you prefer, and then the explanation in verses 18 to 23. But in between there is another segment of the text which really is helpful to introduce the whole notion of these parables that the Lord is teaching. The, the word parable, you know, you're reading along in your Bible and you, you wonder, what is a parable? Well, it's not a parabola, which is uh, what you're learning about in your math class, maybe. Uh, and it's not a hyperbole, okay, even though those words sound somewhat similar in their parts. It's not that. The term is used in English a handful of times, just four or five in the Old Testament, in Psalm 78 and Ezekiel 17 and 20 and 24. I don't expect you to write those down or anything. They're available on the website if you want it in these notes. 
but it translates a Hebrew word, at least in its Old Testament variation, that has a range of meanings, including sayings, proverbs, hidden truths, riddles, uh, ambiguous sayings, allegories, wisdom teachings. It's just a, it's a general kind of, of word. Um, the he, now, the word parable is in English several times, but the word from which it derives, that's in the Old Testament many times from the Hebrew. Um, in 1 Kings 4.32, it says that Solomon spoke 3,000 parables, proverbs, which is the same word that we're looking at here. So kind of contextually dependent, and it's a little a little bit of a broad word to kind of zero in on what it, what it means. But in English, uh, we use the word proverb for a short wisdom saying, don't we? It's got to be like, what, 10 to 30 words or something like that, very short. Um, and we use the word parable for a somewhat more extended story or illustration. So, um, you know, the, the lost coin the lost sheep, the lost son. We, we know by the titles, and the stories kind of go through our minds, and it's a, it's a wonderful way of teaching, isn't it? Because when you hear a story, it's hard to forget, if you're paying attention at all, about what that story uh, says. Of course, sometimes you can get focused on the story, and you miss the point. Now, what's the point of the lost son? Mm, you know, you have to think for a minute about that or review um, but the idea is a, a story or illustration, somewhat extended in length, that has a lesson or a main point. Sometimes it's a shorter one, but most of the time it's a little bit longer, a little bit of a story. Uh, don't think of a parable as, as a fable. Fables are also stories, right, with a, a lesson but oftentimes um, fantastic stories, you know, uh, fantasy is what I mean by fantastic, uh, you know, stories of, of what, uh, you know, things, uh, somebody that can turn things to gold or, you know, uh, who, who flies up in the air and his wings melt and, you know, these, these sorts of things. They're not really fascinating, uh, you know, really realistic, but they're fantasy kind of stories, but they teach a lesson similar in that sense. The Greek word that's used in the New Testament can refer to a type or a model, but more to the point, and here's what the dictionary says of this word, it's a narrative or saying of varying length designed to illustrate a truth, especially through comparison or simile. Daniel, I think, is studying similes, metaphors, all that sort of stuff, right? Didn't you have an exercise with that just the other day? Yeah, he, he's, he's forgotten already. It's the end of the semester. His brain is getting full. Uh, so it, it can refer to comparisons or even sometimes riddles. A riddle is speaking about something in a way that requires the listener to exercise some cleverness to figure out uh, the meaning. You remember the, the riddle that Samson posed? Uh, let's see, how does it go? Out of the eater, something to eat, and out of the strong, something sweet. He was talking about the honey that was found in the carcass of a, of a lion that he had killed, and he was eating something out of the eater, and it was sweet. Um, and so that was, a, that was an interesting riddle. That's a tough one. Um, 
And sometimes the word parable doesn't even have to be used, and we know that it is a, uh, it is a parable. I actually alluded to that in chapter 12. Remember the story about the unclean spirit who went out of a person and then brought seven, came back and brought seven more wicked uh, spirits, uh, evil spirits or demons than himself? Well, that I called that kind of a parable because that's sort of what it is. Um, so we won't get too hung up on the technicalities of a parable versus an illustration versus a, a figure of speech or whatever, but um, I have a list that I have in the notes here. I was just revising on that. It's actually a page and a half. You can see the back of this, the notes here. There are 43 parables that the Lord taught, and uh, we went over those already. Um, I feel like it was just recently, but I, as I was looking back, it's been five years ago that we did that series on parables. And so now I'm realizing there are a few people who maybe missed them, uh, some who weren't even here in the church back in those times. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, of course they should know that. I preached on that, right? Well, they didn't. I don't think everybody goes back and reviews all the preaching. Uh, you know, I'll excuse them for that. <laughs> That's why we do it every week. We go all the time, over and over and over and over it again because uh, we have to. Uh, there's no way around it. Um, the parable is a teaching tool. It's an indirect teaching method rather than a direct method, but this indirectness has an advantage because it causes you to think causes you to have to think. It's kind of like the difference between uh, saying, you know, fact A, fact B, fact C, or asking in the Socratic method questions to get the student to think and to arrive at a conclusion based on the guidance of the teacher and the questions. Uh, questions elicit that kind of thinking, if they're, especially if they're not very simple questions or they're more open-ended questions. Now, we're blessed that Jesus explained some of the parables to help clear the fog of our understanding when we read them. And so the explanations show us that the Lord does want us to understand the parables. Let me read verses 10 to 17 and then carry on in this kind of introductory message to parables, even though it's in the, in the interior of chapter 13. It says in verse 10, and the disciples came and said to him, this is right after he spoke about the soils, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you. And I noticed that. They said, why do you speak to them? He says, well, to you it's been given. He changed the subject a little bit, but pointing out something very important. It's to, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That, that, my friends, is a scary, scary word of judgment right there. I think we read over it and we just kind of, eh, you know, it's words. But this is a major issue the Lord is talking about here. Verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. That's, that's also pretty tough. Uh, let me illustrate that for you. Seeing you will see and not perceive. It was um, in the evening time a few nights ago and I installed a new light outside on our, our patio or our deck. 
and it's much brighter. So I turned it on, and I was looking out, and I saw this thing on the play structure in the back on the blue slide. It was a dark, looked like almost a cat hanging off the edge of this uh, slide. And I said, what in the world is that? And I couldn't figure it out. I am seeing, but I'm not perceiving. A couple of days later, I realized that particular light cast a shadow on, a, on an object about 30 feet away, a bird feeder, which that shadow is cast from the bird feeder onto the slide exactly at that spot. And I'm like, oh, that's what it was. So now I see and I perceive. It's like if somebody comes into the church and they sit there and, you know, this, this pastor, you know, and he's kind of talking like the, the adults in Charlie Brown, you know how they talk? and it doesn't make any sense to the person sitting in the pew versus coming in and speaking the language of Charlie and his friends. And like, oh, I can understand that. You know, hearing, they're able to, to hear. Uh, verse 15, it says, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, my boys right here, you don't realize the, the benefit that you have by hearing the word of God in the church. You think maybe sometimes it's, oh, it's boring, and it's my dad just talking on and on like he always does, and you know, saying all these things. But we have a privilege to know God's Word, to hear it. People for thousands of years wanted to know what in the world is God doing in this place. And we, although we also say, what is God doing in this place? Because we want Him to come back. But they did not have the benefit of the first coming. And all the revelation of Jesus and all of what He did and then His death, burial, and resurrection and all of the New Testament teaching... We have all that. It's tremendous what we have, the privilege and the information that he has shared with us. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but um, the word parable, we're back to this now. He's teaching in parables, uh, is used only in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Very interesting, isn't that? We find the first use of the word parable in Matthew 13. And uh, the reason we find it here is significant. I've already taught you about this, but just remember, the Pharisees continued to show the fruit of unbelief toward the Lord. And they were leading the nation in rebellion against him who was offering himself as their king. They would not repent. They complained about, you know, the Lord breaking the Sabbath and healing people the wrong time and the wrong place, and they wanted to destroy him. Uh, they accused be, of Jesus of being in league with, with Satan and they were committing the unpardonable sin and, and they asked for a sign. Show us a sign, you know, even though they've seen about a million signs. I'm, that is hyperbole, by the way. And, uh, you know, it's like, why do they want to see another sign? So he says, no sign's going to be given. You just watch for the sign of the prophet Jonah coming in the future. Then you'll see. Then you'll see a sign. And that was the sign of Jesus in the heart of the earth and then resurrecting out of there. And so uh, the Lord ends the chapter in chapter 12 by saying, look, only those who do the will of God are my relatives, are my mother and brother and sisters and all of that. Um, and so they were rejecting him. 
And so the Lord is now turning to a new method of teaching. This is like a, they say today, you know, in the business world, a paradigm shift. You know, after a while you get sick of those words like paradigm shifts and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, but this is a change over in how he's teaching. He's not going to teach in the direct manner that he did before. They didn't receive it. They didn't welcome it. He's going to teach in parables because he said, to you it's been given to know, but to them it has not been given. So what he's saying is that parables are at one, and this is something amazing too that God can do, at one and the same time, they are a teaching tool and they are a judgment tool. They are, they are a revealing tool and a concealing tool. They give information and they hide information all in the same time in the same words because of the condition of the eyes, ears, and heart of the people to whom they are uh, spoken. Seeing and you will see and not perceive. The hearts are dull. The, the ears are hard of hearing. The eyes are closed. And so depending on the spiritual condition of the person, the parable can either further enlighten them or will further darken them. And they'll just be confounded by what it says. Now, the pattern of the parables in general uh, is, is a kind of fixed, especially in Matthew 13. There's uh, often a call to hear and understand. There is uh, the word parable occurs at the start of, or end of them oftentimes. Many times they say that something is like something else. So the kingdom of heaven is like something else. And so you have to keep in mind, okay, what is the thing we're talking about and what is it like? If you can keep those two things in your mind and put them together at the end, you will have the, uh, the idea of it. Like the kingdom of heaven is like a, a mustard seed or it's like leaven hidden into a, a lump of, of dough. Well, that means that whatever the dough or the leaven does in the dough is kind of like what the kingdom of heaven is like. You know, the leaven is a little thing but it spreads throughout and affects the whole of the dough. And the same with the kingdom of heaven and its spiritual realm, not its, not its baker's realm, as it were. Uh, sometimes the parables end with a phrase like this, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. This is basically like we, what we would say at the end of something, hey, listen up, listen up, listen up. Uh, not just to simply hear it, but to apply what is being said in the moment. Many times a parable repeats the message of another parable, or the parables occur in pairs, one right next to the other, to reinforce the same point again. And then sometimes also the Lord explained the parables. Okay? So look for those elements in, as you read the parable to see what you see there. Now, Again, why the, the reason, what's the reason for the parables? Well, he, he teaches this, as we've read. The disciples ask, and he tells them there are two reasons I'm giving you this in parables. Number one is, he, well, he uses this one teaching method to accomplish the two things at the same time, to show his followers truth about the kingdom and at the same time to hide that truth from unbelievers. Now, let me just pause because I know that right now somebody is thinking ahead a step or two and they're saying, okay, if that's true, 
that God uses the parable method to show the truth to some people and hide it from others, that is unfair for him to hide the truth from certain people. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Do you have any ideas? How would you respond to that argument? Well, first of all, if you think that you know what fair is, (laughs) you better think again. Yeah, if you want fair... God could give you fair and square and quick, and it wouldn't be pleasant. Um, But God's not, God's sovereign. He doesn't bow to you. You know, you don't say, God, why are you doing that? You know, you shouldn't do that. You know, God tells us what he does and what he doesn't do, and it's ours to submit to that. It's ours to obey that. It's ours to accept that. Uh, what, and he's clearly saying here's not a controversial or unclear statement here whatsoever. This is very clear. He, he gives the truth to some and he conceals the truth from others. And why, why shouldn't he? People who are like the Pharisees don't want the truth, do they? They hate it when they hear it. They gnash their teeth. It's just today like when you confront people with their evil, you know, whatever issue it is about, you know, their pet issues, their close, most base base desires that they want to express, and you attack those by your words, by teaching what Jesus taught, they can't stand it. They don't want it. So God, knowing that, how he's created people and how the sin nature has twisted their natures and their minds, okay, if you don't want it, I'm not going to give it to you. You've heard maybe the story of an atheist or uh, uh, the, the, the thought or saying of an atheist or someone like that who says, look, if, if God is like that, I don't want to go anywhere near him. Right? If God is just like that and he'll punish people and all that, I don't want to do anything with him. So I'll be glad to go to hell, he says. Oh, I don't think you're going to be so glad. But the Lord is not obligated to reveal information to people who reject it and don't want it. If they've rejected the the information, the light they already have, there's no obligation of God to give them any further. And why would they want it? Why should he force it upon them? Why, Why They wouldn't want it forced upon them. So he'll allow them to go their own way and do their own thing. The truth content, one, one more point here tonight, I think, and then we'll have to close up shop. The truth content revealed by the parables here has to do with the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You see that? Let your eyes follow me there uh, down in verse 11. Uh, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's plural, by the way. Sometimes we say the mystery of the, of the kingdom, but it's actually there more than, there's more than one. There's a plurality there of several different things. A mystery in the Bible is something that was not disclosed, but now is disclosed. That, I, I feel like I've heard that statement a hundred times or a thousand times, and you might have also, but it's just good to review that. It's something that was not um, known, disclosed by God, but now it is. So it's different than the mystery cults, it's different than uh, you know this kind of idea of initiation into a mystery cult where you know only some people have the special knowledge. It's been revealed. It's clear. It's it's there on the page um, for us. Some people see it, but they don't perceive it. 
The mystery is something that cannot be known by the mind of man other than through revelation. In other words, we can't, we can't make it up. We can't like guesstimate it or uh, figure it out ahead of time. God reveals this information. So, for example, it was a total mystery that Jews and Gentiles would be brought together into one body called the church. Two, 3,000 years ago, the thought wouldn't have even entered into the mind of a Jewish believing person that Jews and Gentiles are going to be together. That was a mystery. In a body called the church, no, no clue. But it was revealed to the Apostle Paul particularly and written down in Ephesians chapter 3. The subject matter of these parables the, are mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so they have to do with this kingdom, information about this kingdom. And again, same kind of thing. Just like the church was not known in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament was not known that, I mean, they saw that there was something going on. The Messiah comes and he suffers, and then he, he's glorified. But to see that he came and offered a kingdom, that it was rejected, that he died, that he rose again from the dead, that he went to heaven to receive for himself a kingdom, and then to return in the clear way that we understand that today, that was not known. All that was a mystery. And so now it was made known by God. Um, this kingdom of heaven, is, uh, is, the, is that's the place where it comes from, by the way, heaven. It's the kingdom of God. That's who rules it and who owns it. And it was uh, the kingdom that operated earlier under the theocracy of Israel, especially under David and Solomon. After that, it kind of fell into disrepair. Before that, you know, Saul, who was the king, was kind of like, uh, he was a little premature. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he didn't really, wasn't really the guy that was supposed to be the, the, the be-all and end-all, if you will. Uh, the, the kingdom disappeared entirely after the Babylonian captivity, and it was offered again by John and Jesus in the beginning of the New Testament. They said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they were saying, hey, wait a minute, the kingdom disappeared when Nebuchadnezzar carried us off to Babylon. What's going on? So over 500 years later, it was slated to come back if they would receive the message of repentance. So what's happening? Well, we learn from the parables this unknown information that the kingdom is on ice right now. The kingdom is on ice right now. It's waiting to return. And what is on the front burner? Not in the freezer, not in the ice. On the front burner is the church. That's what God's doing right now. The kingdom program is on pause. The church is, is being um, you know, developed. Now, when I say the kingdom's on pause, it only is on pause in one sense, that it hasn't come, that Jesus is bringing forth a new citizenry for that kingdom. So even though it's kind of sitting there off to the side, God is busy building up this. What he's doing is he's... he's uh, operating this, this mustard seed thing. It's starting out small, it's growing bigger and bigger and bigger, and the world doesn't even recognize how big it is. But when the kingdom returns, and when Jesus returns with the kingdom, and all of the saints from the last 2,000 years come with him, that's going to be a big number. That's going to be a massive intervention in world history by Jesus. And the armies that follow him clothed in white robes. He's building that up. Now we say, well, there's a few here and there's a few there. And, you know, I mean, now in the, in the world there are probably millions and millions of true Christians. But when you add that up over all the years and all the generations, you're going to get 
a goodly number. It's not the majority of human population, to be sure, but it is going to be uh, a, a formidable force, to be sure. Um, it's, uh, so anyway, this, the kingdom has been, has been rejected. It's put on ice. We're in the, king, in the church age now. And um, a thousand years, this kingdom will, will reign once it comes. When that is, we don't know exactly. God hasn't revealed the details of that. But then after it, then we will commence the eternal state. So right now we're in the church. And God in, in the church is regenerating a group of people who will be citizens in that glorious kingdom. And that includes you if you are a believer in Christ. Remember, if you are born again, you shall see the kingdom of God. But if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God when it comes. And so that's our call to our people today. Be born again, and you will be able to participate in this glorious kingdom. And by the way, you'll be able to see and perceive and hear and understand, and your heart will not be dull. It will be enlivened so that you can understand the parables. Apart from that, it's going to be tough sledding, my friends, because you won't understand what you, can't, what you don't embrace and what you don't love and what you don't want to learn. And uh, if you don't love God, you won't love His Word and His truth. So let's pray uh, to close, and we'll have to pick up here the next time at uh, verse number 12. Heavenly Father, we want to thank You for opportunity tonight to look at the idea of the parables and what You're doing with them. And I'm just moved to thank You for the privilege that we have to be able to see the things of God. And as we'll see the next time, we have to be cautious about how we treat that because those who have, more will be given. And those who do not have, if they reject what they do have, well, that will even be taken away. And so help us, we pray. Lord, perhaps there's somebody listening on the, on the uh, computer, watching on the computer. I, don't, I can't see them, but I'm just prompted to pray right now for someone who might be feeling down, depressed, discouraged, uh, beaten down, overwhelmed by the cares of life. I pray that you'd help them to hang on and teach them that it's not just their hanging on, but it's your hanging on to them that is what keeps them. And indeed, Lord, help them to look up to you and cast the eyes of faith upon you and be strengthened in their inner person because of that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for participating tonight, taking time out of your schedule to do that and to pray and then to listen to the word. May God bless you and give you safe passage, uh, those of you here to your homes. And those of you at home, enjoy some rest or you have to work tonight or whatever. Good to see these young people here as well. Uh, you can't see them if you're online, but couple of them that are already got, already have their PJs on. They're ready to just run home and dive into the bed and go to sleep with no questions, no opposition, no, you know, nothing, right? Yeah, we hope. All right. Good night, everyone. God bless you.